Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Today, I have sitting across from me, Robert Clark. He is the RVP, other known, otherwise known as the Regional Vice President for Peterson International Underwriters, specializing in executive disability insurance. We're probably going to get into a little bit of that today. I'm pumped, buddy. Thanks for coming. Dude, thanks for having me. I'll tell you what, that intro sounds like the real thing that I listen to on my phone every single week. So this is this is too surreal. Uh, you're in the studio. In the studio. Makeshift studio. Got cords flying everywhere. This is how pros do it. Hey, at the end of the day, it's working. <laughs> at least we think so. Oh, man. So I'm pumped to have you here, man. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I know. We've known each other for six, seven months now. Yeah. Wow. It's been a while. No, I think we're going on a year, honestly. No. I don't know. Time flies when we're having fun. Exactly. It does. All right. So uh, I am looking forward to having a conversation about a whole lot of things. I think we're going to end up probably chatting about habit, uh, talking a lot about money. I think that's important for people to know because when I say money, all of a sudden people like clench their pockets. Exactly. Or they go into their head and they go, damn, I don't have any of that. Yes. What happened? So why don't you start there? Why don't you tell me a little bit about or tell us a little bit about how you got into this kind of segment of business in general? So what drew you into executive disability insurance? We'll talk even maybe you can share a little bit about what that is, why people should care about that. So where did that all start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as, as far as me sitting in this seat with Peterson, there was, um, like many of us in the insurance business, we've all accidentally found our way inside of it. But, uh, you know, the story really has a cool, uh, ending and it really comes full circle. So, um, I grew up four houses down from the Peterson family itself. And so that's, was my introduction to them. Um, I was working full-time in sales in the motocross industry. They wanted a sales guy, so they picked me up and brought me over. And it was probably a little bit against my will at the time, but like I said, it it was really, it it was such a cool moment when I realized how, uh, how much this turns back into my family story. And so, um, without making this a, you know, 40 minute intro in and of itself, uh, long story short, Peterson, obviously specializing in executive disability programs. Um, and my dad, when I was two years old, uh, was diagnosed with a cancer called kinesio neuroblastoma. Um, he would live with that for the next 20 years, obviously in and out of work. And, uh, I, gosh, I mean, growing up as a kid, I'd never once thought, I wonder like how he's getting paid and like, does his job still pay him or do other people still pay him or do we just not have any money, but the house, you know, the house company lets us keep the house. Like (laughs) you you don't really know all the fundamentals. And so here I'm going through training for Peterson and I'm like, Holy smokes. Like I got to talk to my mom. Like, um, my dad had already passed away by that time, but I was like, I wonder if we've ever used disability insurance. She's like, so when I asked her, she's like, Oh my gosh, like disability insurance was basically the 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 one thing that kept everything together Hmm. and like uh you know the one interesting story is is uh my dad's term life insurance policy was going to be expiring when he was 61 and in order to convert it it was going to be like 
40 times the price they've been paying for the last 20 years. Oh, my gosh. And so my mom basically had to gamble like, okay, is it worth it to send this much money knowing that my husband or my dad is at a very critical time in his life? She ended up paying that bill. He ended up passing away that very next year. Whoa. And it's and so I think about like had it not been for the income replacement for all those years, mm-hmm. there would have been no way for that money to be available to make a decision like that, which ended up impacting me, my sister, my mom, uh, to where she's at today. So long story short, man, um, I lived the life of someone you know, very thankful for one protection, but two, a, a clear understanding of money and that none of it's guaranteed. Um, so by the time I really started to become a young adult, it was like this mission I was on was not to make money just, you know, so there's Bentleys and, and Range Rovers parked out front, but to have money. So there's security and, and things we can provide for, uh, the people we love. Okay. So y- you already like sent uh, so many thoughts running through my head. Uh, I'm not sure where to start, but let's go to some of the some of the things that you said that I think we can uh, address. Probably the challenges that people face um, as it relates to insurance and disability. Um, even uh, as a uh, uh, ignorant little child, uh, uh, unknowing, accurate, uh, yeah. Um, you know, so I, I I remember you know when uh, when my kids were growing up and. Um, we were talking about going somewhere and we were, we were at a time, my kids actually grew up when we were going through a pretty tough financial challenge at home. And, uh, I remember one time we said something about like not being able to afford it. And my daughter at the time, who's now my oldest, she was only a couple years old. She's like, daddy, just, just go to the bank and get more. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it sounds so funny when a kid yeah. says that. And yet that's reality, right? Like we, not only like is that how like we're just naive you know because we're young but we're not really ever taught anything other than that until all of a sudden we have to start earning money from our for ourselves and typically by that time it's too late right yep a hundred percent no you're right i mean i i even think about like when by the time i was 16 and could have my own job and i think i was making god three to seven hundred dollars every two weeks i was working at sports chalet and i was like thought i was cool and like yeah you know working for myself and i'm <laughs> gonna do it and, and i remember um uh, my mom started to have like more like you know adult conversations with me and so i was making like 1500 bucks a month i thought i was crushing it and i'm like like god i could afford like a I could afford like a nice truck, like $500 a month payment. Psh, I make three times more than that every yeah, month. Yeah. And I remember one time she was telling me about the, the house mortgage bill and she told me they paid 3,600 a month, uh, for the house mortgage. And I was like, 3,600. I'm like, how do you even like, how do we eat food with third? <laughs> like who makes more than $3,600 a month? And so it's, you know, it's just, it's so eye opening when you get into this grand scale. And of course, knowing what I know now, I'm like, man, money is important, not for the sake of having money, but for the sake of having a lifestyle. Yes. Okay. So, so there's another good one. Uh, so, um, money it's such a touchy subject, right? Because um, I mean, we live in in a very select area in 
even the United States, but definitely in the world in which uh, money is, the topic is thrown around a lot. There's a lot of it that flows. Um, for the people that don't have it, uh, they either uh, covet and, and, and just want it so bad or just absolutely bastardize it. Most of those that have a lot of it uh, have it ir- uh, uh, use it irresponsibly, and so they're not smart about it. And so there's just this there's this terrible stigma as it relates to money, and I think like those stigmas, which are just really just the uh, two inaccuracies a lot of the times in, in our belief. Those are the things that we're brought up even believing, you know, about money. So we don't even have an honest understanding of the value and the good and um, like sometimes people just need to hear like it's okay to want to earn money. Right. Right. Yep. Like, I, I just think that, like, that's such a shame that, that we're not taught that because then when we're just taught that it's really bad or you don't need it, mm-hmm. um, then we, we, we never grow to understand how to appreciate it yep. and how to use it and spend it or save it or whatever, right? Like, yep. all that stuff comes into play. Yep. So, so this kind of plays into the conversation we had a little bit earlier, and I didn't really mention this, um, but we talked about, like, what was the turning point for me personally. Um, so as of right now, 29 years old, as we record this, I'm one of very few of people my age that kind of have this mindset of, okay, you know, money is important and we need to be thinking about vision and money and what does life look like 30 years from now? Um, I realized probably five or six years ago, um, it was said to me and the, it, it was just kind of split, you know, you have person A and person B. Person A makes $50,000 a year. Um, person B makes $500,000 a year. And um, y- you would think that most people would say person B is pretty selfish, right? They're probably into themselves. They, they probably like, you know, paying for all the nice things and don't really care about too many people. Um, and then I was challenged with how many charities do you think person a is giving to Hmm. how much time do you think person a can voluntarily spend helping other people and it was at that point that i'm like wow maybe being satisfied with a a mediocre income or lifestyle like that is actually being more selfish than going after it all hmm. with the understanding that you're going to give back roughly 10 to 20% of what you do. And yep. whether that's a monetary contribution or a time contribution, in either case, you are giving back. And so as someone who went through my dad's situation, um, seeing how important it was for our family to be able to spend time together not knowing how much time we had it's like wow Mm -hmm. if you have if you've sacrificed on the money side in advance and you've set the right things in order that buys you the opportunity to give to others and so i see i see being money focused as a very um unselfish thing to do because you're actually i mean Literally, while you were finishing up that phone call before we got together this morning, um, I was finishing my donation to the Special Olympics for one of my buddies who's a business owner. He's trying to make this huge contribution. They're doing a shoot-a-thon tomorrow, and today was the last day to contribute. And I'm like, it's, it's, I think it's the third or fourth thing I've contributed to this week, 
And, you know, these are all 20 to $50 increments, nothing huge. Right. But I'm like, I'm just so grateful that I'm in a place to where I can contribute $400 in a week, not really batting an eye, knowing that it's going to a good cause. Is it money I'd want to spend? No. But right. is it going to people who can benefit um, more than I can? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I know what you're not saying is that the person that makes $50,000 a year sucks or is a laggard, right? Because that just may be the place that they're in. But I think what you are saying, which is super helpful to, to clarify is that we have this belief that, um, particularly when we're lower on the income scale, uh, I would say, um, that we can't afford to give, right? Um, and, and what I would say is, is maybe that like, you just need to reframe that way of thinking and just say, no, you just need to build into your mindset from a very young age that you just give what you can afford. Right. And, and, and still maybe even stretch yourself right there because, you know, if somebody makes $500,000 and you give 500 bucks, well then the 50,000 person should be able to give 50 bucks. Right. Like right. it's just about being ingrained into you the problem i think is is a lot of times people on that lower scale of income or that make less money um they they're holding on to that for dear life and maybe they do really need to but they're holding on to it and they haven't built into their lifestyle this desire to want to contribute right sure scarcity versus abundance yep right it's yep. the two different uh mindset shifts and and that was probably another big one that was really the catalyst for um my mindset today is is we all come from that place of scarcity right um it, it, it's funny your your daughter when you mentioned that that example she's like we'll just go to the bank and get more right, <laughs> right. but at some point she's gonna be waking up to the fact like oh my god it's there's no endless supply Yep. And then that's when we go into to our very restrictive personalities. And, and as we, you know, go through college and, and a lot of us are leaving with significant college debt and uh, we're living in a house that we still can't even quite afford by itself. And we probably had some credit card debt in the, on the way. Um, we're, we're coming from a place where like, man, I, you know, I make that you know, $4,000 a month every little penny needs to go to all these other things yep and 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 so it, you can't blame society for being in the mindset that it is like i said person a making fifty thousand dollars a year he's a great person right he, you can't blame him you can only blame the outside forces that have put him in the position yep that he's in yep yep it's funny that you bring up that whole idea of college debt and um you know, I, I know a lot of people are starting to say now, I think like I've heard uh, Gary V say this a lot. And I just I love when he says it is like probably a lot of people don't need to go to college. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous statement to make because there's all these kids out there that are like, yes, like yeah. I'm done with school. But the reality is, is it's like you're putting yourself so far behind. You know, you're racking up 50, 100, 200, 400 thousand dollars in debt before you earn one real dollar for yourself right. and you know maybe some side jobs that are just getting you by during that time like where can you go out of college to earn an abundance of a hundred two hundred four hundred thousand dollars 
over and above your then desire to like, I want to buy a house and I I need a car. And like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, even some of the greatest opportunities that you can get out of going into debt like that, like going, going through your doctorates, uh, becoming a surgeon or something like that, you're still, you know, best case scenario, you're coming out of school making $180,000 a year. It's kind of like an attorney. If you become an associate attorney at a law firm, you know, you just graduated law school. I, I literally think the, the top law firm in the United States is paying their entry level associates $180,000 a year. When you cut it down, I mean, that's, and you have $300,000 a debt leaving law school, you are paying that off very slowly. For life. Yeah, for life. And, and the other thing that's I think is really interesting is Gary Vee talking about maybe buying a home is not the best thing yes. to do. Uh, this is one I've been playing with quite a bit recently, just running different schematics yep. and analyzations. But okay, so, so okay, that, that's another really good topic because uh, this is something that uh, my wife and I are regularly having conversations around. So we owned a home for a period of time. Uh, we had to short sell that house some irresponsibility in our own decisions years ago than just some bad circumstances. But regardless, so uh, we've been renting now for uh, five and a half years and there's like this itch, particularly with my wife, and it's all for really, really good reasons, right? Like to want to buy a home. And we are in a, a great place where we're at in terms of like the rent that we pay and in, in ter- for our market value. And, and so to buy a house, it's gonna cost us more than twice Per month, what it does, and got to come out of pocket for you know down payment plus you know all of these other things, and and yet like for so many people like that is like I've arrived, mm-hmm. I, you know I got a house, it's mine, it's amazing, I did it, and um, I feel like like I want to I want to get my life, and and I do too like it, there is some you know nice sense to you know your own place you know you're never going to get you know kicked out whatever but like even then like I think it's really dangerous when we think like that is like the finish line of the quote unquote American dream and yet that's what's been saying that that has what has been ingrained into so many of us yeah. particularly over the last 10 or 15 years when how everybody was buying a house because it was so cheap anybody could get a loan I could interest only my payment for 50 bucks a month and be in a million dollar home and right. so yeah I mean that's yeah. that's bad 100 percent. so so you're questioning whether or not you want to buy a house? Uh, no, I currently yeah. own. And now being five years into home ownership, I'm like, um, I, I don't want to call it like buyer's remorse because yeah. I, I like it for what it is. But as I look to, you know, what will I do in the future? I'm like, hmm, you have a lot of equity that they, you know, yeah. you had to put down as a down payment. But guess guess what's that? Guess what that is doing? It's just sitting there. Yep. And it's just like, man, is that is that really worth it? Meanwhile, I'm like, you know, my girlfriend's telling me, oh, we need a new patio cover in the backyard. Oh, okay. You know, we we should really just uh, move this wall over <sighs> here. Oh, you know, the gardeners. I noticed the gardeners didn't do this extra palm tree. Well, that's because it costs more money to do that extra palm tree. Oh, well, maybe we should, you know, and there's just all these nickel and dime things. And I'm like, people, people look at, well, rent versus own, you know, owning makes more sense. You can mortgage for less than you can rent in a given spot. And I'm like, 
mortgage is just one piece of the equation. You got the maintenance, insurance, property taxes. And they're like, yeah, but that's your write-off. Man, I, I don't know. I'm At this point, I'm kind of saying screw the write-off. Like, yeah. rather not have the write-off and not pay property tax. Well, okay, so th- and that that's a bad like that's a bad mindset in and of itself in some ways, right? Like, I hear that argument all the time, which is, well, you need the write-offs. It's like, but no, no, no. Right. I have to pay that yes. before I get to write it off. Yes. And, I mean, obviously, like, with rent skyrocketing the way they are, it's not necessarily just an easy cut and dry thing to just go rent a place. It's mm-hmm. expensive and you get a postage stamp of a, you know, room somewhere to right. rent for, you know, thousands of dollars a month. But like, that's just not true. Right. And again, that's just another, like a poor money mindset. Like right. I think that like phrase has been thrown around so much and it's like, no. Yep. And I love what you said about equity too. Like the other thing that, you know, again, uh, Orange County specifically, Southern, or I mean, Southern California specifically, like, you know, we have now, most of us that are in our, I would say, probably uh, late 20s through like upper four, mid 40s, we've grown up in this boom of the housing cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, we've quickly forgotten how, how bad it busted, but we've seen home prices go up, go up, go up. So we're thinking like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quote unquote investing into real estate and I'm going to make all this money. And the reality is like what we saw over the last 10 years probably is not going to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And so at best you're seeing these small incremental increases in uh, your home value that y- yeah. you could get a better return in so many other places. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, so. So this is one of the things that I've I've constantly struggled with. Is um, it's it's very hard to make this decision unless you're clearly looking at an option A and an option B. Hmm. You can hypothesize for days about you know which one would be better if to live here, to rent there, to own this, and it's just like there are so. I mean, literally, as I do these analysis, I'm like, oh, my gosh, no one is going to read or stay and listen to all these different dynamics that I'm going into. But it's like, um, think about this. This is this is actually an advantage to home ownership. When you buy a home, you take out a 30 year mortgage, right? Yeah. Well, what does the dollar bill tend to do over time? inflates it inflates right right so year 25 you're paying down let's say your mortgage is three thousand dollars a month today you're paying it dollar for dollar three thousand dollars a month right year 25 you're actually using like two and a half dollars two to two and a half dollars to pay that same three thousand dollar mortgage payment so the the mortgage like while you're paying more over that 30 years to take out that longer loan and you know a lot of people look at the aggregate number you're paying they're like that makes no sense well if i'm using two and a half dollars to make that old dollar payment yep. from 25 years ago yep i don't know it doesn't sound that bad i mean yep. that's that's kind of a smart strategy right so it's almost as uh, i think i believe it's referenced as a deflation tool ah. um where you're locking in the price of the dollar yep. for that day so i mean but how many people go to that extent no. of no. looking at that you know everyone's looking like what would the mortgage be? What would the rent be? They're like, no, you know what? So, yeah. so last night, uh, my ten-year-old and I are sitting on the couch. Uh, Mom and my oldest are uh, out at worship practice, and so we're hanging out. We're we're going. We're watching a YouTube video, and it ends, and one pops up, and it says, "Buy a Tesla Model Three for seventy-eight dollars a month." And I've seen this thumbnail. Did you watch no, it? No, I have. Okay, not so it. check this out. Like yeah. this is actually like the it, like at first I'm like, 
dude garbage right? right like he tricked something so what he ends up doing it's fantastic he ends up laying out like what it cost him to buy the car so putting you know down payment down he had to pay for license and insurance registration like all that stuff but then he factors in federal tax credit state tax credit um a little bit of the savings on gas but he doesn't go to like tesla's extent and then what he does and this is where even my kid was like she's 10 and she's like whoa so then he factors in like if you buy it primarily as a business expense and really are using it for that like what additional incentive you get to write off the depreciated value of the car uh you know so he just like went through that list and he legitimately ends up demonstrating that over the first 12 months of ownership of that car, because he's financing through Tesla, which right now they're offering 3.74% on a new car purchase, yeah. um, that it's netting him $78 a month for the first year of ownership of that car. Wow. Like, that's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, and I would imagine the next 12 months is probably lower than that, right? Maybe. I mean, you, you probably pay for a lot of upfront costs. I don't know. Yeah. I could be wrong. Like and sales tax. You're right. Like you're right. Yeah. And so like, and so she goes, she goes, dad, she goes, we need a Tesla. Of course. And I, I, I really have been like looking at them anyway. I'm like, I think we could convince mommy if we tell her it's only 78 bucks a month. Shoot. You can get two at that rate. <laughs> I'll drive the other one. <laughs> So anyway, like my whole point there, and, and it's great that like you share like the mortgage side of things like we, we don't think about those things right. because we're not even equipped to think about those things, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's little, if any education that goes on in the school system. Um, I was impressed, like my kids in high school, my oldest one, and she's going through business math. And so they're talking about like, um, lease factors and amortization on car loans and home loans. And so I'm like, okay, like you know, that was way better than the pre-calculus that I took in high school and Absolutely. don't remember a damn thing about yeah. um, if she retains it. But again, there's just very little education. And so then we wonder why there's people just racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. One, because they want to, right? People always say like, you know, please the people that, you know, they could care less about pleasing anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a lack of education. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. And it's really interesting, you know, as, as I kind of, um, I've just taken a fascination into this space. So I have a lot of people that reach out to me about it. Um, just because you are the income <laughs> advisor. <laughs> no, it's really just because they want to banter with me on, on why I'm wrong. Um, but you know, one of the things they're always asking me and, and it's totally a question I'm unqualified to, to answer, but you know, they're always like, what's the best investment? And I'm like, you know, one, I'm not licensed to talk about that, nor do I want to be talking about that. Yeah. But two, like generally after I've asked them some questions, like, you know, of what their interpretation of a good investment, I did some air quotes there just for all the listeners. They saw them. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, when, when they ask me that question and we dig a little bit deeper, I realize, you know, they're falling short on about at least half of the fundamentals, mm -hmm. right? Of they're asking about what's the right investment when they don't they don't even have two months of a of a emergency savings set up, let alone six, nine, or twelve months. Um, they haven't really gone through. They they don't even know how much they operate on on a monthly basis. You know, your your house, whether it's just yourself or your family, your house is a business. 
Um, and when I say house, I mean the income and the outflow is just like any other business. And mm -hmm. you need to identify who's going to be the CFO and who's going to be the CEO. <laughs> and uh, if, if you don't answer that it's your wife, you're probably not married. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just like anything else. And so when you dig a little bit deeper, it's like, man, how the right investment, air quotes, was n not a relevant question at all because frankly it doesn't really matter what the right investment is because the foundation's not quite there yep, yet absolutely and so that uh, that's just what i tend to find with 80 percent of individuals so i think it's really a matter of to your point let's just focus on the fundamentals mm -hmm. of finance um and it's you know did anyone take that class in school i know i didn't um and so it's 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 unfortunate because now there's millions of people who are already upside down or sideways, you know, entering their careers or midway through their careers. And, you know, unfortunately, I credit uh, student loans are now exceeding credit card debt. Crazy. And so it's like, man, uh, I remember in 2007, I just graduated high school, but I was smart enough to know <laughs> that you know, the economy was going south because something called subprime mortgage lending. Yep. And so I see a lot of similarities in the uh, student lending yep. side. And so I'm very concerned about that. Yep. Yeah. Which again, like I think one of the problems that's propagating that more than anything is actually the parents because they grew up um, with, and so this would be maybe like the fringe of the baby baby boomer generation, and if not, they're they're on the, you know, just one tier down, and so they were brought up with like, no, you graduate high school, right. you go to college, you get a job, and so there is this, um, they've been led to believe that this is what they have to do, mm -hmm. and and again, there there's it's not that like wholesale college is a bad thing to do, but it's because parents are, are living in a generation that doesn't exist anymore in terms of like the economy and the workplace. Yep. And, and they don't know what to do. And probably they're a part of the problem, even on the financial side of things, right? They were the ones that bought into all of the horrific subprime loans. And part of the reason why we're in the position that we're in yep. and everyone's blaming just the millennial generation and it's not mm -hmm. right. It's mm -hmm. the generation and two before them that caused yeah. all these problems. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, we have to reach, like, I think a lot of people are trying to reach the millennial generation uh, with education around these things, which is great. And then, you know, even like whatever the next one is beyond that. But like, but I think that it's going to the, to the older generation still that are parents right now and educating them to, because if not, like there's no end in sight to this. Right. Right. Absolutely. No, there, there's not. But you know, what's interesting is I did see. Uh, an article recently saying Gen Z, which is the generation after millennials, oh that's right, um, is the are already the highest savers out of all the millennials, Gen X, and I think boomers. You know, because we have a lot of boomers retiring with zero minus zero uh, <laughs> for retirement funds, which is another scary thing. Um, but anyway, so Gen Z really focused on saving i think you know growing up in a technology world and things like that um they like the idea of home ownership it's just really interesting it's totally opposite of millennials yeah as a millennial reading it and, I, and i'm like oh those those youngsters they don't know any better <laughs> you know and that's what that's what everyone does to us as a millennial so it's funny 
that that that's very funny. Okay, so you just touched on something that I want to go back to, um, uh, which was retiring with zero. Mm. So it's hard to do. I I don't advise to do that. And yet, we would say that the majority of people are have retired with zero or not enough. A large number have retired with zero. Yeah. And um. There, there's a lot of uh, reasons that that they got put into that place, but it's like they they lived their whole life um, not saving enough, or not working hard enough, or believing that that day would never come. Mm-hmm. Which you have personal experience to the flip side of that, right? Which is through disease, mm-hmm. us never believing that that day is going to come, right? And we all, none of us do. We all know it's possible. Just none of us really think it's going to happen to us, Absolutely. and so as as we as we talk to people about that, like how do you see creative opportunities to make a difference in the world as it relates to not allowing people to get to the end of themselves? Because, like, I mean, so when we talk about uh, executive disability insurance or disability insurance. Um, which is how I introduced you to start. Most people are like, what the hell is that? Right? Like if I have a job, I get disability through the state, mm-hmm. um, which is garbage at best and will not do a whole lot for you. It's, it's a, it's a nice start. Um, and so they maybe have heard it, heard of it because of that, but nobody really knows. And then maybe people are like, Oh, well then I just go buy an Aflac plan or something like that, mm-hmm. which again, maybe a tiny bit of help. But people don't typically think about that, and no. and they don't even know what they're t- what you're talking about. And yet, you believe. I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot offline. That this is one of the most necessary um, components of insurance for people to acquire. Yep. And most people don't. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't just tell them that, right? I mean, that as a statement, some people would be like, oh, okay, that's cool to know. Yeah, but I heard car insurance was also important or else I can't legally drive my car on the road. So technically, that should be equally important. Um, I think what a lot of people fail to realize is that uh, nothing, you know, we can look at our last 10 years of income earnings as whatever stage of career that you're in. You can look at your last 10 years and no matter what that performance looked like, there's nothing that guarantees your paycheck shows up the same or higher next year. What's required is for you to be at work in order for that income to come through the door. Yep. And sometimes you could be at work and it still doesn't come through, right? right. Um, so the idea is how do we put our put guarantees behind our income um obviously with my dad uh, with my dad's experience the exposure to that i've saw firsthand and this tends to be one of the most um uh most motivating factors when people acquire disability insurance is they know someone who's recently been diagnosed with cancer suffered a stroke um you know uh, diagnosed with als some form of illness um everyone when they think of aflac or disability insurance they're like okay i'm not clumsy um i don't go on ladders so i'm not going to fall off the ladder i'm not going <laughs> to fall don't down really the stairs people really say that yeah, yeah oh absolutely <laughs> they're like yeah no i you know i'm it's not like i'm standing up you know I, i'm not a roofer i'm not a construction worker like my chances of of something happening to me are so slim that that is honestly what people say but they don't know that 
all of those things they just mentioned are 5% of actual disability insurance claims. The other 95% are all the hundreds of thousands of things that can develop inside of your body hmm. without you knowing, and that will hit you like a ton of bricks once it's finally unveiled. Have you ever had the flu? Oh, yeah. Did you go to work when you had the flu? Sometimes, but probably not. What did it feel like? What do you mean? To not have the I mean, to no, have no, no. the flu? W- yeah, when you had the flu and, and you woke up, what did it feel like? Did you want to get out of bed? No. Okay. Did you want to go up and get a glass of water? Yes. Okay. Did you? Maybe not, because maybe I thought I was going to throw it up. Right. Or if your wife was home, you probably <laughs> ha- asked for some help, right? Could you imagine feeling like that for a year? No. How would you pay your bills? I wouldn't. Well, so it it's it's interesting because we think even if we're diagnosed with cancer, that screw it, I'm going to beat cancer. You know, we're, a lot of us are very motivated, especially at the high income level. You find someone that's um, extremely motivated and has done very well for themselves, and they feel truly like they are invincible no matter what happens. Yep. But I, you know, I'm on the board for the ALS Association, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. You see people completely degenerate. I mean, in front of your eyes, day by day, they slow down, mm-hmm. and there is nothing that stops them. Doesn't matter what their mindset was before they were diagnosed. Yep. It's and so, disability income is all about keeping that income stream going because likely there's a couple other people that depended on that income that you care about. Yep. And so it's all about implementing guarantees. Let's not take chances. Instead, let's implement a guarantee that you get to where you want to go. Yep. Yeah, because even if you even if you don't have, I, I hear this quite a bit, like, um, you know, for a single person or like, oh, my, well, my wife works too or whatever, right? There's like, there's a, these fail safes, right? right? My own air quotes. Right. Um, and yet people don't realize that like when somebody goes through a disease like that or a sickness or a significant disability, it costs a lot of money mm-hmm. to care for that person. Yes. And then, you know, like living enough in the in the health insurance space, um, you know, they, then they ignorantly think like, well, I have insurance for that. Mm-hmm. It's like, yo, first of all, there's caps on that stuff. Sure. And... Uh, it, it's not even guaranteed that it's all going to be paid for. Mm-hmm. And then it's only going to pay for the things absolutely necessary, mm-hmm. but like to get you out of bed every single day and move you around, it's not. Right. And so while your spouse may work and they'll continue to be able to provide for themselves and your kids, mm-hmm. who the hell is going to pay for all the extra expenses that are now going to be incurred as a result of you getting this disease? Yep. Or if you're on your own, like, you just expect that like your family is all just going to like pitch in or I mean, like, look at what is the number one reason that people start GoFundMe accounts today? Yeah. Illness. Medical disability and illness. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. it's unbelievable to me. I hate, hate, hate when I hear people make all these excuses as to why they just should not invest a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. No, it's incredible. Um, you know, we, we talked about homeownership. And I mentioned car insurance too. So it's, it's one of the funny things as a homeowner, do you, you know, let's say if, if you're in California, uh, average house is worth, I don't know, $600,000, right? Do you have a homeowner's insurance policy? Yeah. Because you can't take out a mortgage without one. 
Uh, your car, let's say, is worth $30,000. Do you have car insurance? Yeah, absolutely, because you can't drive without one. Uh, let's see, you're 30 years old making $100,000 a year, and on the basis that you retire when you're 65, that's $3.5 million of earnings without any raises or adjustable uh, adjustabilities for inflation. So there you have a $3.5 million asset, and we have the heavy majority of individuals walking around every single day with absolutely no insurance and no guarantees that that $3.5 million ever shows up for their family. It's really fun. And then you see GoFundMes and God, I mean, like I said, I, I contribute to just about everything I can, but at some point you draw a line, you, you know, or let's say you put a hundred dollars into everything you see for some people, they're only going to collect two or $300. Right. Right. And when you're staring at a $40,000 medical bill, yep, it's not looking so sweet. So it's, it's really tough. And, and that's why I love all the work that you do in the health insurance space. Right. Because, even someone with health insurance and a uh, low-cost, high-deductible health uh, plan. I'm sure you love those words. Hate. Yeah. Hate. Um, so so I am I own one of those plans just because that's what's offered through my employer, right? Yeah. My deductible is $7,500. And I'm like, <laughs> thankfully, I could take care of that if I had to. Yeah. But there's there's probably plenty of things that that doesn't cover where that falls short or there's, you know, more things that, Oh, by the way, there's this clause yep. where we don't cover specifically what you got. Yeah. yeah. And so you'll have to take care of that. Yeah. And then that's just your deductible. That's not even your annual out of pocket. Right. right. Which then that's another number that's even higher than your deductible. And guess what? That's an annual number. So next year, get ready to cover that yeah. deductible and that annual out of pocket. If yeah. you continue to have a significant disease and then, I know somebody that went through renal failure, right? So kidney failure, transplant, yep. dialysis, that whole process, and their insurance capped Wow. and would no longer provide for them. No. And at way. the same time, the state denied her disability for two years because they didn't feel like she had a valid claim. Wow. Yo, she to this day, like she's 24. 20 years on this side of that original transplant there's a lot of reasons why like thank god it's held on but yeah. like fragilely and she still can't work and yet like yeah. it took her i think 10 years or something crazy right. to get the state to just give her state disability yep. yep so if not for them being financially responsible as a husband and wife and them having money saved to be able to fund through a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. she would be dead Mm -hmm. right just like black and white because yeah. there's only one thing that we're guaranteed once we're living and that's we will die right and we we want to do our best to protect against that but we don't set ourselves there up very well and that's money mindset that's physical right right exactly I, you know it's I, i'm so glad to hear that's somewhat of a success story and that still alive they're doing okay or yep. doing well um it, it troubles me. Most people hear stories like that and they think, well, that happened to her. That's a super one-off scenario. That'll probably never happen to me. Or two, you know, she didn't qualify for disability, which means she's probably not actually disabled. Like she probably could go to work if she wanted to. And they'll say, you know, if it were me, I would force myself to go back to work. And I'm like, unless people see firsthand what these people are going through, 
they have no idea of how bad I bet you she would love to be normal and go to work yep. just like everyone else. Yep. And the last thing she wants to do is to go f- to another doc- another doctor's appointment. Yep. She doesn't care about the disability benefits at this point. She's like, please bring me to normalcy. I would love to be able to spend 40 hours a week somewhere. Yep. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and so I think that's, that's one of the hardest parts that we have to get through as a society. You know, my, my uncle's dealt with, you know, back issues of his own and he was a carpenter. And like, if you've ever spent enough time at home alone by yourself or with your family, you get a little stir crazy. Oh gosh. And it doesn't take long for this to kick in. Right. And so it's like, people want to work. Yes. And, and so for those who are out on disability, yeah, it's for good reason because you physically can't. There's something holding you back from being able to sit that long, to be able to focus, or to go without needing some form of treatment or medication. And so it's it's all kind of against our will. So going back to, like, remember when you had the flu, like, this is not our choice to self-diagnose whether we're disabled or not. These are things our bodies. Uh, develop and go through that we have zero control over. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Okay, but, I mean, you say all this stuff because you're in the insurance world, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure you make a lot of money, and it's probably really easy for you to save money, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's just a that's a pretty simple excuse. Like, it, it's really easy to talk about this stuff when you can afford to do it. Right. So... Practically, how does that look for Robert on a regular basis? Like, what are you doing to to manage your lifestyle appropriately? I'm not asking you to like lay a W two out on the table, um, but maybe maybe one of the most maybe one of the most obvious ones that I always love this one when I tell stories about you. This is like my favorite, um, and it shouldn't be, but it just it is. So I know that you've been pretty successful to this point. You're 29, got a lot of career ahead of you. Um, what kind of car do you drive? this came up yesterday in a meeting uh i drive a uh, four-door honda civic what year is it 2015 and is it a manual transmission or an automatic it's a manual because that was just really inexpensive for you to buy right cloth seats yeah cloth seats yeah but you make a lot of money like why don't you drive a tesla or a bmw or a mercedes i guess i have a different you don't you know, I could say I have a different vision and yeah, people are going to be like, okay, cool. You're, you're putting yourself up on a pedestal. Here's the real reason. I'm like, I saw that one video of Jeff Bezos driving his Honda Accord back in like 1996 and he was already worth like millions of dollars. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, that is so cool. It's one thing to be successful driving a BMW. It's another totally awesome thing being successful driving some just ratty old you know and i wouldn't call a 15 civic ratty or old yeah um it's reliable but it's definitely not showboating and honestly dude it feels super stupid seeing people get in seeing having people see me get in and out or pull up in that car i'm like god they probably think i'm just some nobody kid trying to figure out life Yep, and like little do they. But God, you got to wear that humility. It's hard. It's hard, right? Yeah, Yeah. and and unfortunately, people will judge to the extent that it might cost you some opportunities. Right? Like 
you could portray all the success in the world and and when they see you get into that car they're gonna be like oh never mind that guy's not nearly what i thought he was yeah um and so that's sad but here's what i've learned it does i think it um keeps people with the right mindset at least people that i want to attract it keeps them nearby because the people with the right mindset they don't give a crap what i drive in fact when i told this story yesterday to two people more successful than i was uh than i am and who i would consider mentors the guy's seven figures for sure drives a ford explorer um the other guy also um, with him in the seven figure realm drives a used Honda Accord. He said he's bought in one new car in his life. I freaking love it. I, I don't want to do it myself, but I, I love just, it. I'm like, we should start like a cool little club. Like, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, you have to go, you have to go out, uh, into clients offices, do presentations. You wear really nice custom suits. Um, they've got to be Armani. No. Top of the top of the scale. No. Actually, it's really cool. I I found this company. I told you about them before, but MCR Taylor, at MCR Taylor on Instagram. Uh, they're actually overseas. Um, by that, I just mean across the pond. So I, they're based in Paris or London. Okay. And um, they just kind of wholesale suits. And I just dug their patterns and started connecting with them. And so now he's like all about sending me these cool patterns and. Yeah, I, I guess I'm the only American that wears a very European style suit, so they're very excited that <laughs> I pull it off. Dude, you should get like a plug on Instagram or something like that, like I know. branding and promotion. I'm or something. working on those endorsements. Yeah, multiple flows, multiple flows. Yeah, again, I think that's like it's just thinking things through, right? It doesn't mean like because one person's like, okay, well, you're just not into cars, which I know you are, and, and you do yeah. have some other toys in that space, um, Shh, no Ferraris or anything Shh. like that. But like, but I, I but. It's not that you can't enjoy nice things. It's just being smart even about what you do, right? I mean, same thing for me as it relates to like clothing. So and particularly like I shop at Kohl's for a lot of my stuff. Like I just don't care. But when I want a really nice custom shirt or custom suit, like I'm going to go get one. But again, like I got a buddy. He's a tailor. They do custom clothing and I love my stuff. And yet I'm buying it for probably a fifth or less than what the guy next to me is. I actually think my stuff looks better, yeah. uh, but his has got a tag on it. Right. right. And so like people, people are so dumb sometimes. I know. Okay. So what else, what else practically, what are some other ways? Cause I just picked on you for a few that were just yeah. a little bit fun. I always love the car story, <laughs> especially thinking about you driving a manual transmission in traffic through LA all the time, which I know you do. It's- um, so what are some other things practically that you think that you do, um, or that people can do that can help them start to think differently about just how they're spending their money? I know mm-hmm. you're not a financial advisor. This is just, you know, what you think personally. And, mm-hmm. um, yep. Um, so you want to know the one that really just flipped my mindset on its head? Don't, don't ruin something that I enjoy though. <laughs> Go ahead. You're gonna, so, um, one of my early mentors, and, and if you can tell, I've, I'm always listening to people who are in positions that I would love to be in. So yeah. um, when I refer to mentors, it's just people that I'd look up to. Um, one of the tips that I got from one of these individuals five to six years ago, when I first started at Peterson, save 40% of your gross income. And I was like, I don't do that. I was like, whoa. 40% of your gross. That means take your gross income if you make 100 grand a year. Take your gross income, say 40%, 40 grand a year. 
by the time you pay taxes, you're only taking home about 60. So that leaves you with $20,000 to live on. So if you adopt this rule, and, and by no means is it easy to get to, obviously, for those of us in Southern California, it is very difficult and it requires a large income to get to. But man, when you understand the freedom it would bring you to be able to save 40% of your income, and when you know what income amount you would need to earn in order to hit that savings threshold, hmm. one, it keeps you focused, two, it builds all the right things on the back end if you're actually doing it. And three, it gives you an awesome goal to set after for yourself to be like, okay, I guess I need to make, I don't know, $300,000 a year yeah. in order to be living in this model. And so it gave me a target. Like yep. I want to get to this level. And again, it's, it's not for the sake of stockpiling money. Yeah. It's the sake of like, I want to, I have a certain lifestyle that yeah. I want to live, not materialistic, obviously, yep. civic. Uh, you can you can get way more than a civic for certain uh, income numbers, but more for the uh, optional work lifestyle, the um, things that you can give back to your community. And so all by saving, all by aiming to save 40% of my income is completely what flipped the game on its head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I think uh, um, we're not done there yet because I love it. I actually heard you say that recently and I'm like, damn it. I really want to be able to do that. Okay. But so that's not that unrealistic because people would would think like, well, you're just stockpiling money, right? And and I I know you said it's not for that. But if we translate that into retirement, so you're just going to be about 30 right now, right? Mm -hmm. So you realistically want 20 more years of running really hard, right? By 50, you want to be retired and that can be defined in a bunch of different ways, but let's just pretend that you got 20 more years and let's just use that $300,000 number. So you're, you're saving $120,000 a year. If I did my math correctly for 20 years, Mm -hmm. that's $2.4 million, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. That's not that much money. Nope. In retirement, especially if you're going to stop earning at 50. 50. And if that money works for you and maybe you are earning interest on that money and you're getting some money there and you've got some other residual, that's fine. But Mm -hmm. even then, like it's expensive to retire at all. Mm -hmm. It's significantly more expensive to retire in Southern California. Right. So that's why we're seeing this mass exodus of people, you know, as they're they're leaving the state. Um, Our. Uh, our dependencies on social security and other things are getting lean. I believe that they will be gone sometime, maybe in my lifetime. Um, we're, we're just watching all these things go away that we used to rely on to save money. And so $2.4 million, I hate to say this is not that much money. No, it's, it's not (laughs) this, this isn't going to make matters better. Um, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) But 20 years from now, what's that $2.4 oh, million God, right. worth? Oh, God, right. 1.6, 1.8? And then let's think about if you're an employee, what is the likely tax advantage savings account that you're contributing to? Right. 401k? 401k. Yep. So your $2.4 million hasn't quite made it through the tax process yet. With our fingers crossed that taxes are identical today as they are 20 years from now. No chance. Yep. Right. Um, that gets rid of 37% of your money if you live anywhere outside of California, most places outside of California, and about 52% uh, 
uh, reduction if you live inside mm-hmm. California. Um, so your two and a, your two point four just turned into one point one eight or whatever Absurd. math you want to apply. Yeah, and so and then you're probably going to live longer than most. Of, you know, yeah. Uh, I met with Matt, Matt Franchina earlier, and so I have to give him credit for this one. Present financial partners. Present financial partners. He said, "Who's the oldest person you know?" Hmm. And he made me think about it. I'm like, well. Um, the founder of Peterson is 91 years old. That's probably one of the oldest. Perfect. So now you've created this vision of, wow, you could live to your 91. It's, it's kind of like an athlete, not, not to get sidetracked, but the, the athletes make what eight to 10 million in their short career. And they're often running out of money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not. But it's not so much that, yes, the certain ones blow a lot of the money yeah. on wasteful things. But think about the fact that they're retiring at 30. Yeah. And they have to finance 70 years. No way. On that 8 to $10 million. Yeah. It's nearly impossible. Yep. Yet we're all shocked that they run out of money. Right. Not at all. Right. So if you think you're going to retire at 50 with 1 to $2.4 4 million in your pocket... I mean, you're not going to be able to do that at 65. Yeah, you got another thing coming. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're coming up on the hour. Oh, my gosh. You're getting ready to drive all the way back to Thousand Oaks, right? <laughs> Valencia. Valencia. Close. Close enough. Closer than Thousand Oaks. Dude, that's an eternity in Southern California traffic. <laughs> For all of you that are not here, that's about a 45-mile drive, 50-mile drive? 60. Oh, 60. Yeah. That's a good two hours. Mm-hmm. Sorry, buddy. It's worth it. All right, so final parting words. I think that there's been a lot here. So I'm talking to a lot of people about mindset all the time. I know that the majority of people that do listen, um, they are uh, doing everything they can to be successful, whether as an employee, they started a business. Um, So they're, they're really chasing every bit of, you know, success that they can in the best of ways for those that I know. Um, So what's kind of like that final, um, anything else that, we haven't talked about that you really want to like leave people with as it relates to money mindset and, and setting yourself up. Gosh. Yeah. I, I, I could literally be here for another two hours. Um, you can come back. I, I, I'm in, I'm enjoying this one because you're, you're making me think about certain things that I even forget. Um, I think that the key thing is, and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier on, but um, it, the word success or the word, um, yeah, goals, they're different for every single person. Mm-hmm. What someone like myself would find successful, you probably would think differently about what's successful for you. Yep. And so when someone asks me what is the best investment or what should I be doing with $500 a month that I'm saving, it, it always turns back to answering one single question. And that is, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And most people get hung up after they've been asked that one question. It is a question that I battle myself to answer every single day because you're going to answer that question and the answer is going to be different today than it is next year than it was last year. Mm-hmm. And so I would just say to people, this is by no means money advice, um, but it helps you do the math for what type of money you'll expect to need based on answering the question, what do you want? 
lot of us don't need the Range Rover. And so when we think about retiring, you can take out that $80,000 expenditure. Although if you do want it, if you want a Mercedes G-Wagon, we should probably build in another 130000 right? And so this, this word of retirement, this word of success can be defined in way too many ways. Yeah. Um, and I think where people are missing the boat is they haven't sit down and thought hard about defining what exactly they want 10, 20, 30 years from now. Yeah. No, I like that. I know we talk a lot about, I probably should have brought this up earlier, but one thing that I really appreciate about you, and I know it's something that there's a lot of things I appreciate about you. One thing that I appreciate about you as it relates to uh, how you live your life and what you're trying to achieve. And then, and then how that translates into other people is we talk a lot about the fact that like it's creating yourself, creating for yourself, the lifestyle that you want to live mm-hmm. while at the same time living within the lifestyle that you want now. Right. And, and, and that's hard to, for people to understand until they really sit down and think about it. Yeah. But I think that as we consider retirement far out, God forbid, but you know, many of us will be exposed to some significant injury or illness. Um, it really is thinking about like, what lifestyle do I want for myself, for those people that I care about? Um, and at the same time, like, it's not that you have to suffer now, right? It's not like, cut everything back, suffer, you know, live in a studio apartment with your six kids. Like you don't have to do that. It's just thinking about like, is the life I'm living now supporting the lifestyle that I want one day? Totally. So I appreciate you, buddy. Dude, I appreciate you. It's, it's, it's totally the balance. And it, I always go back to this. It correlates exactly to fitness or to health. If you are a hundred pounds overweight and you want to get in shape, you don't put that person on a chicken and broccoli diet, right? <laughs> right? Because the likelihood of them staying on that for the rest of their life is very low. Yeah. So treat your money the same way. You you find the balance. If you like shopping, just make a shopping budget. You know. Yeah. If that's if we're starting at two thousand dollars a month for shopping, well, it's a starting point. Dude, call me if that's your budget. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. So, um, uh, yeah. Sorry got sidetracked i was gonna i was gonna run a joke in there but i'm like yeah we're being recorded on a podcast so probably shouldn't that would have been kind of funny but yeah Yeah. you could have offended a person or two (laughs) i do it all the time so don't worry about it i appreciate you ryan miller thank Thank you you. for having me thank you so much appreciate you uh as always oh where can people find you we should we should say that well um let's see definitely on linkedin that's where i'm most professional but if you want (laughs) if you want the down and the dirty the behind the scenes uh that's definitely on Instagram at the income advisor um, or on Facebook under Robert Clark, but there's probably 3,000 of those. Um, so Instagram at the income advisor, um, LinkedIn under Robert Clark, protecting the world's highest incomes. Find me on either one. Would love to connect with you. Please reach out. Yeah, I'll make sure to tag both of those things in the show notes. Um, I do appreciate the things that you share on LinkedIn. Um, very professional, super helpful. Um, some of the stuff on Instagram is really professional and helpful too. And some of the stuff is just really funny. I just, I love it. So appreciate that. You're going to see him uh, recording video as he drives around the city, but trust me, that's oh, that phone's docked somewhere. Yes. And he has disability insurance in case it's not hands-free and <laughs> life. We're all protected. That's good. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the excellence mindset podcast. As always, thank you so much. You have endured an hour 
But this money mindset is something that we all need to pay a whole lot more attention to. Uh, if you would like more information, obviously you can connect with Robert. Uh, he's a great person to talk to. But as he said, um, you know, he covers a specific uh, arena there. I've got other people that I can set you up with to talk to. Uh, people like Matt Franchina we talked about at Present Financial. And he's a great guy that you can chat with about some of the uh, other stuff on the individual side of things. And, and he can set you up there. So yeah, reach out. I'd love to be able to help you out, connect you with the right people, get you set up for the lifestyle that you want one day while living the life you want now. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.